Welcome to Please Bet All Football Games. Welcome to the championship round of the NFL playoffs and welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. I'm Joe, your host at BMADFTS on Twitter, the keeper of the real, and this is my co-host Alex. How's it going, Joe? Happy to be back. You guys can find me at I underscore like underscore sports six. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've started calling myself the host and you're the co-host because like, come on, come on. I, think I make the fucking charts. Yeah. When, when you can ramrod a bet down my throat, then you're the host. When I get the soundboard, then I'm the host. <laughs> All right. Speaking of sounds, apologies if anybody hears the construction outside. I thought I had picked a day where miraculously nothing was happening at MSG, but I was wrong because they're literally tearing up the sidewalk in front of my apartment. I love New York. I don't. All right. Should we get to some recap? Yeah, let's talk about the week. So we went kind of light on bets. We only made three bets, and but we did technically bet on all four games. So our first bet was Tennessee and Green Bay, money line parlay for two units. <laughs> How the fuck did we lose both legs of that lock of a bet? I Yeah, that was one that I felt was kind of an anchor. I was more nervous about the other two that I actually was betting on spreads, and neither of them turned out for us. That was rough. Yeah, so while we're while we're recapping, we'll do a little fairer fraud. We'll just bake it in. These games were both so fucking fraudulent. Like, which one should we start with? We'll go in order. So let's go uh, Tennessee and Cincinnati first. If this game is played 10 times, I think the Titans win nine times. The, the pick on the screen by Tannehill, the first play was just terrible. And like Tannehill should get a spanking in public for that because that is just, and not the fun kind. That was a stupid throw. It was late and dumb. It was dumb if it was on time. I hated it. It made me sad. The second pick, which was the screen that got tipped, popped up, and caught. I don't know if you – did you see the the video going around of, like, the Bengals players talking about it before? Yeah, like, they, they were planning on it. The fact that they knew that play was coming and the fact that Tannehill still did it, I, who, I don't know who I should be more disappointed in, the quarterback for not audibling out or figuring something out or the coach for being that predictable. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it's one of those that's why defenses get paid to situations because there's only so many plays that you can run. So they're going to figure certain things out. I think it is partially the Titans run a conservative, more predictable offense you that say. plays in. Obviously, you'd like Tannehill to check out, but I don't, you know, I don't know what his options are, if he's allowed to do that, what he's even seeing, because they might run that look a lot and not actually rush anyone. Still, you'd like him to see that, the guy flying down uncovered and not make the throw. I don't know. I think it's a, a failure for a lot of the Titans, but also it's just the Bengals making a nice play. I don't think then- these... Re- this result was as fraudulent because we did say that there was an avenue for this to happen, right? Vrabel is going to try and run a grind out game and it goes the wrong way. So it's so sad because while this game is totally fraudulent and the worst team won, you're right. We saw that coming because that happens a lot in games that Mike Vrabel is the head coach. in. There are very few teams that are actually better than the Titans coaching aside. Like take away the quarterbacks. I have them as the third best team in the league just roster wise even add in the quarterbacks i have them top five ten like probably top five i don't want to actually go look at my spreadsheet but like yeah they do have a really good roster and i think they they have some issues on the offensive line that injuries have played in as well but they're not super strong there and they can get thin on their playmakers really quickly as we saw this year yeah they have they have three but derrick henry is really about as much of a hindrance as a help he's cool and he gets tons of yards volume wise but like whisper voice, they're a better team when they hand the ball to Hilliard or Ford. Predominantly Hilliard. They're best when they hand the ball to Hilliard. Yeah, I mean they I'm I'm not as high on Derrick Henry either. I think a lot of it's just volume and he is really strong, so he wears down a defense, but I think there are a lot of guys that could do that. The other thing is he's not strong at the line of scrimmage. He's not breaking tackles from linebackers and defensive linemen. He breaks tackles of secondary players. Like that's his thing. So you have to block it up perfect and get him four or five yards for him to even begin to become the upside of Derrick Henry, which is trucking safeties and cornerbacks. Whereas there are a lot of running backs out there that if you block up two or three yards, they can get you five or ten. There's a lot of running backs that if you give them five-yard runway, they can make shit happen. Derrick Henry is 
So frustrating. I will grant them this. Derek Henry's name carries a lot of weight amongst the mongrels that comprise NFL front offices and coaching staffs. And therefore, you know, a little bit of that perception is reality factor. Yeah, it plays into how they game plan and how they line up, which is probably why they're more successful. The Titans are more successful when they use one of their speedier guys. Teams, when they play against them, prepare more for, all right, big lineups. Let's go and try and run into Derrick Henry really hard. Then when you go to their speed packages, they're less prepared. I don't know. But yeah, I we saw it coming. Vrabel punting from midfield on fourth and short twice. Vrabel sticking with the run when it's netting him about two yards a carry. Like Vrabel yeah. plowing Henry into the line when clearly Dante Foreman is way outclassing him. Yeah, I think it just came down to this is our complaint with the Vrabel Stefanski style of try and win every game by three points in that when unexpected things happen that go really wrong, like that tip pick or a million things that have happened for the Titans, like their missed kicks and all this that have kept them from uh going deeper in playoffs and having better records it's because these things do happen and then when something goes wrong now you're fighting and scrambling to now try and get back in the lead or on the other side of that uh clock advantage and it, it you have to turn it back on it's so dangerous and i think it's why we don't like coaches that do that but it's what we see with the titans a lot and what happened in this game i will the only thing is i wish I won't get to this later during the pumpkin report, but I wish that Ryan Tannehill actually played a little bit better so that I could extremely squarely place this loss on Vrabel's shoulders. Because any time that you commit two or three coaching turnovers, we should be able to blame the coach. But man, the, the Titans lost by three points in a game where they had the ball with under two minutes left and didn't score, despite three coaching turnovers and three quarterback turnovers. We got jumped. We should have fucking won that leg of the bet. I think that's fair. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think the Titans should have won. I, obviously, I understand why they didn't, but <laughs> I still would. I would make that bet again, yes. All right. Moving on to the second leg of this bet, I don't think there's anything to say about the Green Bay Packers that we won't cover in Pumpkin Report. Yeah, it was it, because Tennessee had already lost. Granted, I did have one where I had Tennessee teased to plus three and a half because I was scared of what ended up happening happening uh in another parlay with green bay so still a little invested but for the most part i was out and was so excited to potentially see rogers lose in the first playoff game they're in so i was kind of happy from that standpoint but wow what a miserable showing yeah that was prop these were the easily the two most torturous football games i've ever watched in my entire life because i had money on tennessee which is always terrible as long as mike rabel is the coach bottom two coach in the nfl no Maybe bottom one, probably bottom one. And then the other game was extremely torturous because it was terrible football, but I had money on the Green Bay Packers. And although I have cast aside my Bears fandom, I still hate the Packers. They could sign every one of my favorite players tomorrow, and I'm still going to kind of fucking hate them or myself, one of us. Somebody's getting it. Either me or the Packers are going to be hated. <sighs> and I was rooting for them to win. And they should have won by seven, but that punt got blocked and that shit. Okay, fine. It's stupid and it's fraudulent, but that happens. And then Aaron Rodgers has a wide open Alan Lazard to continue the drive and probably they're probably going to get about 30 more yards after the catch on that. They'll probably be at the edge of field goal range as soon as Lazard catches that ball. Well, Rodgers wanted to throw the deep ball to a double covered Devontae Adams, and it was also arguably a pickable ball because it was underthrown. Uh, I got punished twice. Yeah, this was a tough one, too. Uh, this is what we talked about. It's the danger when you play the 49ers of they're going to grind you out along the lines. It's going to be a low scoring game if Jimmy G can not make a ton of mistakes or or they can get you to make a similar number of mistakes. They can beat you in a game like this. And the Packers just did everything to keep them in it. And obviously. It's tough when you give up, what, 13 points and seven was off the block punt. And there were three more that were off a, that were almost directly related to special teams, wasn't it? Yeah, they, they had a blocked field goal that set them up in a nice position. I think they got a field goal out of that. There you go. Yeah, so 10 points realistically out of your special teams. And you don't really expect that, but... Don't forget the Mercedes Lewis fumble. 
when the uh, when the Packers were driving. Yeah, that was another fraudulent fucking game. So we lost two units. We probably should have made 2.3 units, but this is why parlays are never locks, because even if you have drop dead legs, there's always that 5% chance of fucking bullshit happening in each game. Multiply them together. That's a 25% chance of bullshit right there. So yeah, it's the, it's the danger of it, but that's gambling. All right. Shall we move on to the actual football games that did take place? Yeah, the Sunday games, which were took all the disappointment from Saturday and just turned it into electricity on Sunday. Yeah, so we had Tampa minus three over L.A. Uh, that looked dead in the water in the first quarter, <laughs> and then it came back. Um, this is the only true, actually justiceable final of the weekend. Like, the Rams deserve to win, and yeah, like, yeah, the Rams were lucky because they had a touchdown in the first quarter when Devin White just decided, like, oh, I know I'm in man coverage at the goal line against the tight end, but, you know, I'd kind of like to just jog towards the quarterback instead with my hands up. That was that was really stupid, but it's also Devin White. It's what he does. He's a fucking idiot. Um, so, like, the Rams got lucky there. The Rams got lucky on a busted coverage by Carlton Davis, that deep 70-yard touchdown to Cooper Cup. If Carlton Davis simply plays football on that snap it's probably not a 70 yard pass and they probably punt because it was third and 20 so that's that's 11 points right there in the first half that like most of the time the bucks don't give up but they did and the rams quickly erased all of that bad luck for bucks betters with like three absurd fumbles yeah that was the craziest thing where you're like okay wow this game's done that bet's dead, not looking good. And then the Rams just started imploding. And it was They fully Stafford. imploded. They fully <laughs> imploded. Yeah, no, Stafford actually, our one worry was like, okay, you can't bet on the Rams because what if Stafford does what Stafford's been doing for the last month and a half, two months? And Stafford played the cleanest game of football I've ever seen. It wasn't the elite because he didn't have to be, but it was like he fucked nothing up at all. Mm-hmm. But they, they had all these plays that let Tampa come back. And then looked like they pulled it off. And then Tampa handed it right the fuck back to L.A. with another busted coverage. Because, hey, you know, Todd Bowles, he should really be a head coach. I know he sucked as the head coach of the Jets, but if you don't want him as your head coach, you don't know what head coaching is, said the idiot who doesn't know what head coaching is. Yeah, that was a tough one. Uh, Anton Winfield just uh, just didn't get deep. Just didn't Did you get hear deep why? Did you hear why? I didn't, I didn't actually. It turns out not everybody on the field got the call that it was actually supposed to be an all-out blitz. So Winfield thought that he had help, and Levante David, who was supposed to blitz, stood still because he didn't know what the play was. Outstanding. That's and, that's and what you want. His blitz gap was perfectly occupied. So if Levante David does blitz, actually a decent chance he gets home. If you if you watch the all twenty two, it's the most frustrating thing on earth because an all out blitz probably actually wins that play despite being a terrible fucking call on a third down with no time left out of field goal range. It's been popular and like I get it to an extent, but it's just such a risk reward thing. Man, it's uh, fucking a lot stupid. Of it, yeah, like a lot of the time they don't have the time to get open. If your corners can cover for a second, you're good. But if they can't or someone breaks one tackle, you're it's, it's dangerous. Fuck it. In that particular scenario, run the all outputs. Do it. But if you're going to do it, you have to have your corners, your all of your defensive backs so far off. Because if they get a 20-yard completion, it doesn't fucking matter. So just get 30-yard. Yeah. I'm talking halo defense. It's the one time if you're going to run an all-out blitz, prevent defense on the back end is proper. And that's literally what the Bucks typically do on defense. And this is the one time they failed completely. And apparently it's because of communication, which... Yeah, that definitely makes it a lot worse. The Buccaneers were a terribly coached team. And if Tom Brady retires this offseason, which I think he probably will, I'm so glad that I no longer have to bet on. And in fact, I will be betting against them a lot. But we've spent a lot of time not talking about the best game of the week, shall we? Yeah, which after the Tampa-LA finish... There was a there was a lot to overcome to be the best game of the week. It was a high bar, and it didn't actually look like they were going to surpass it. And then all of a sudden, they surpassed it like twice. Yeah, they. I mean, how many points did they score in the final two minutes? I think twenty five. Yeah, just absurd craziness. I, I think that's not including overtime. 
Yeah, I I would believe it either way. I don't know. The, I, the other thing that I love is that as fun as this game was, and we'll get to this in Pumpkin Report, it, a lot of those fucking plays in the last two minutes had nothing to do with the quarterbacks. Tyreek Hill, 10-yard crosser, turning into 80-yard touchdown, 60-yard touchdown, or whatever the fuck. Kyle Orton makes that throw, like now. Like today's Kyle Orton can make that throw. It might not be placed as well, but Tyreek will catch it and still keep running. And like Gabriel Davis's game tying touchdown, there was nobody covering. Like the safety busted his coverage and the cornerback fell. It was a double coverage fuck. So as great as that game was, it was also kind of bad football in a lot of ways. But it's also the only bet we won. So I won't complain about the fact that it was totally a coin flip. It literally was a coin flip. The winner of that game is who won the overtime coin flip. We won the overtime coin flip. So we won a two-unit bet based on a coin flip. 100%. I was more nervous at the coin flip than I was at any point during the actual overtime. Because I knew that if the Chiefs got the coin flip, money was safe. If the Bills got it, I was like, oh, we're probably screwed. We all like to complain about like, oh, the overtime rules are like, oh, 13 seconds is bullshit. Like, dude, the Chiefs absolutely dominated the first 95% of that game. The fact that the Bills were in it is purely a product of the Chiefs running that weird option play on third and one when they should have absolutely scored. The Chiefs missing a field goal. And the Chiefs just fucking up in prevent defense because Tyron Matthew got hurt and Daniel Sorensen. Is he the worst coverage player in the NFL? He's got to be up there. It's terrible. And it makes me so frustrated. And he just, they keep on trotting. He's reliable. It's the Andrew Sandejo shit where it's like, oh, we know what he's going to do. It's like, yeah, and it's bad. <laughs> do anything else. Yeah, he, he's he got to be just the best guy ever. Everyone loves him. He's Mormon. Of course he is. He's probably the sweetest man of all time. He probably is the hardest working dude. Probably has never even thought about cheating on his wife. Probably has like six kids all on the honor roll. But he can't play football, and that's what we're here for. Mm -hmm. but he will keep a job and be in the league forever. And then eventually he'll be a defensive coordinator at BYU and he will be just okay. (sighs) No, actually I I would bet that Daniel Sorensen would be an awesome defensive coordinator because it's always the shitty football players who have no athleticism, but God damn it. If they had any, they would be good. And if if Daniel Sorensen could run faster than a four, six 40, I think he could be decent. I agree. I could totally see it. I'm going to look out for the, uh, the college pipeline. Look, look at Jim Leonard at Wisconsin. It's the same guy because they're white safeties. You want to talk about some uh, games that we don't know the result yet? I really do. But first, let's do some ads. All right, let's jump into these conference championship games. On Sunday, on Sunday, our first game is the Cincinnati Bengals going to play the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are minus seven. <laughs> okay. How do we figure out a way to bet on the Chiefs without looking like idiots? I don't know. <laughs> this line is too big, but I want to bet on the Chiefs. I think that this game could very realistically be a 30-point blowout. But if you look at the first game, I finally watched Chiefs versus Bengals' first game. The Chiefs just stopped trying to win that game. It did look like that, yes. It was very similar we got a little bit of circularity going on here. Both of these championship games are rematches of a late-in-the-season game in which the better team was dominating and then kind of just gave the fuck up. And I think I, in both games, like the team that was dominating and gave the fuck up. It makes sense why you'd want to do that. I mean, that, that's my inclination, too, is bet on the better team, bet on the better quarterback. So, okay, let's just go over, like, cursory sides, and then we'll get to getting creative. I'm going to call this a cursory side. I think that it might actually be in our favor to bet Chiefs minus two and a half first quarter. You know they're going to come out with something nice. It's going to work because everything is going to work against Cincinnati this week. And the Bengals opening scripts aren't actually that good, mostly because they're not actually that good at executing plays as much as they are just lucky. I don't think the opening script is creative for the Bengals, but it's often just get Jamar the ball. That's why he normally starts crazy hot because they just try and get the spark from him, right? And the Chiefs, that was their issue when they played the first time. No one could cover him. They couldn't do anything to stop him. And the Chiefs refused to get out of man coverage. But they refused to get out of man coverage against the Bills last week as well. So I worry that they're just going to do, the Bengals are going to do the same thing of just throw it at Jamar. 
and the chiefs are going to at least take a minute to come up with something because whatever they initially try is not going to work. So I worry that the, the Bengals might come out and score real quick as well. But then once, you know, they figure out, okay, let's just get pressure and double team Jamar. And then Kansas city runs away with it. That's my worry. But I think in theory, you're right. Cause Kansas city is much better and their offense there's a huge matchup advantage there in between Kansas City offense and the Bengals defense because the Bengals defense is not good. They've been living a lie, this, especially these last few weeks. So Kansas City's got to be able, they're going to have a lot of opportunities to score very quick from the beginning of the game. They're not going to have to wait for things to open up. They should be able to just score straight up off of talent advantages. And then it's on the Bengals to keep up with them. And while Again, Jamar can break stuff, and I don't think there's anyone for Kansas City that can keep up with him. He's going to have to do the same thing he did the last time they play and single-handedly try and take it over. I think you're right that they're going to run man coverage because it's just what they do. And I don't think that they will necessarily cover Jamar Chase well enough. I do think that Joe Burrow can't keep getting away with this, and eventually the pickable balls that he throws will be caught. The bad throws that he throws will not be adjusted for by his receivers. And when push comes to shove, I just, I think the Chiefs are going to fucking win. Like, let's put it this way. The Bengals had a hard time scoring in the first half in their first matchup, right? Right. And they didn't really change their offense that much in the second half. It just started working, right? Like, mm-hmm. It wasn't any spectacular adjustment. It was just, it started working. Now, in a regular season game, the Chiefs have the division locked up. Do you think it stands to reason that in week 17, up big at halftime, they took their foot off the gas? No, it definitely makes sense. I see what you're saying. Well, what I'm saying now is... Consider the fact that they've already been victim to taking their foot off the gas against this team. They're already pissed because this significantly better football team is coming into a game thinking we have to make sure we beat these fuckers because we fucked up last time. They're not coming in cocky like a better team usually would. They're coming in hurt. They're a wounded animal trying to make up for something. So I think if the Kansas City Chiefs get up, if they are the better team, they're going to push. They're going to try to run the score up because they've seen... Last week, they saw what can happen if you don't run the score up. They can see what ha- they've seen what happens in a close game. In prior playoff games, they've seen what happens when teams leave the door open for them. And this season, they saw what happens when they take their foot off the gas against these Bengals, which is why I'm tempted to take the fucking seven, lay the fucking seven. Let's just get into matchups. All right, let's do matchups. So best thing going for Cincinnati is their defensive line. But both of their defensive ends are now a little bit banged up. Both Hubbard and Hendrickson have had close calls in the last three weeks, in the last two weeks. Um, Both are going to play, and both are good. But you combine the fact that they're banged up with the fact that Kansas City has a really fucking good offensive line, I think that that advantage is mitigated. I don't think that the Bengals have an advantage in the pass rush. Do you? No. Obviously, the the Chiefs are a little weak at right tackle, but the line is so strong as a whole, and that offense is so good. And honestly, Mahomes is just so good with pressure that the defensive line being a strength doesn't actually do that much for you against the Chiefs. And then especially just, yeah, they're talented. So I I agree that this matchup advantage or what is typically a matchup advantage for the Bengals doesn't really come into play here. Now on the outside, the Bengals are the kings of, we don't really have any good cornerbacks, but we've got three serviceable dudes. I think you're especially fucked when you play against the Chiefs in this regard, because one, Andy Reid is going to get dudes open. Like there will, They will be open by scheme unless you are a special corner, and they don't have any special corners. And two, none of these cornerbacks are, in, are actually very fast, which means that Mecole Hardman and Byron Pringle will be able to beat them just with their speed. And then the final point, and this is the important one, is um, Tyreek Hill is the best wide receiver to play in the NFL since Randy Moss, and possibly top two of all time. Because as great as Jerry Rice was, there is a way to cover it. It's tough, but you can do it. There is no way to cover Tyreek. You can't do it. Nobody can. No cornerback in the NFL this year or in any year Tyreek Hill has played can cover Tyreek Hill. He's simply too fast. Like Maybe in a few years, Eric Stokes will be able to because he'll develop mentally enough and he is fast enough. Maybe. He's too good. He's actually got really good hands and he's a savvy route runner. And he's also the fastest and the quickest player in the NFL. It's They don't have anything for him. And they have terrible linebackers and safeties that can't cover Kelsey. Although, Jesse Bates played fucking awesome for the second consecutive week last week. He's had a very good playoffs. He's been, dare I say, back after a terrible regular season. 
Yeah, whether it clicked for him or what, but he's playing much better and looks like the Jesse Bates of years before. He played really well against a banged up Darren Waller, and he played well against, well, playing well against Anthony Ferkser doesn't make you an elite free safety, but he was good. He was good. So instead of saying that Travis Kelsey is a massive advantage for the Chiefs, I would say that he is an edge, if anything. I think the real focus is going to be Tyreek Hill and the running game because, dude, the Bengals cannot stop the run at all. It's kind of, if it doesn't go at DJ Reader, it's going to work. Yeah, and the Chiefs' interior is strong. Right? That's a good, they have Tooney, and then they have Creed Humphrey, and right there, that is enough to take any defensive tackle out of any play. Yeah. So the Chiefs will be able to run the ball, get the ball to Tyreek Hill, get the ball on sweeps to their speed players because the Bengals' defense is not fast. The Chiefs will score all the points they want. Unfortunately, the team total is Chiefs over under 30, and I don't want to bet on that. No. Flip to the other side of the ball, or do you have anything to add? I got nothing to add. I think I've I've said most of what I thought, and then you covered the, the rest of it. They should be able to score at will. On the other side of the ball, the Chiefs' defense is troublesome, but they got a ton of pressure on Josh Allen. Josh Allen just escaped a ton of pressure because he was great in the pocket. So on the so the edges are how you beat the Bengals offensive line, right? Like their interior is okay. No, backwards. The interior is how you beat the Bengals defensive line. Their exterior is okay. Their tackles, Jonah Williams, extreme technician. We've talked about it a million times. On the right side, is it going to be Remmers? Uh, no, I want to say it's Prince. It's who has been playing. I'm not 100% on that. though. Yeah, they are going to go with Prince. Wow, I, that kind of sucks for the Bengals, but still much better on the edges than they are in the center. Yeah, it's just the line in general is not good. Jonah Williams is the one that you can count on a little bit. I think Quentin Spain has had a solid year, but it, it's just not a good line. There's a reason that Burrow's the most hit quarterback in the league, or one of, he isn't the most. So the Chiefs kind of are set up to perfectly dominate this offensive line. Because in the center, they've got Chris Jones, who's a monster. And he will tear up Quentin Spain, Trey Hopkins, or whoever the hell Adenogy thinks he is. Because all those players are not very good, and Chris Jones is awesome. Right now, he's back on the interior. They made that switch mid-season, and it helped a ton. When you look at the tackles, Frank Clark is actually the kind of guy that Jonah Williams will be able to play very well against. But, oh, look, now you've got this Prince fellow going up against Melvin Ingram III, who has been playing fucking incredible, man. He's been great. Yeah, especially since he got to Kansas City, he's been unreal. It's been a nice little renaissance for him. Happy for him. Absolutely. And then, you know, Jerron Reed as the other defensive tackle ain't no slouch. I know that he's not what people thought he'd be out of Alabama. They were silly to begin with. He was always going to be a mid-length defensive tackle, too. But he's no slouch. He's a solid player. So, on the line, Kansas City has not only an advantage, but like a special advantage, like a good advantage. Um, and then the safeties, assuming Tyron Matthew clears concussion protocol, which I think he will, between Thornhill and Matthew, they have really good safeties. And I think that Uzama will be sufficiently erased from the game, as well as Tyler Boyd, frankly. I think that they'll be able to take away a lot of the deep plays as well, because Matthew is kind of small, but he's got insane ball skills. And Thornhill's a big boy. So it's going to come down to Ken Rashad Fenton, Algerius Sneed, and Charvarius Ward hang with the Bengals receivers at all. That's going to be the game completely. I, I, I agree so. with you. Dude, I love it. I love that PFF still has Rashad Fenton as the third best cornerback in the NFL. I don't understand how, but I do love it. Yeah, their, their skill position grading is strange. Yeah. For the lines, I, I like it. Anybody on the lines, I, I normally trust it pretty, pretty well. Yep. But once you get to quarterbacks and the skill position, guys, uh, it's just guidelines for me. Yep. See, like, if you go by PFF, they've got the third best cornerback in the NFL, Rashad Fenton, and he'll probably shadow Jamar Chase, the ninth best receiver in the NFL. You would think advantage Chiefs, but I would say no. I would say that Jamar Chase will still get some against Rashad Fenton. And I think that T. Higgins against Charvarius Ward is actually a bad matchup because the thing about all of this, the Chiefs have four cornerbacks that can play NFL football. And they can cover decent NFL receivers. The problem is none of them have ball skills at all. They're always in phase. They're always in leverage. They're covering their guy, but they can't make a play. In fact, they might even have five guys who can fucking cover a decent. Ward, Sneed, Fenton, DeAndre Baker, Iffy, Mike Hughes. All can They can cover a dude, but they can't play the ball. T. Higgins can only play the ball, but he's good at playing the ball. Jamar Chase can do other things, but his best thing is playing the ball. 
So the That's why I think is, it's a really bad matchup there. And that alone has the potential to wreck this game for the Chiefs. Do you know what? Or at least on the cover. Yeah, please. It won't wreck the cover because the way that Joe Burrow utilizes these wide receivers. Everybody knows that Jamar Chase is effectively a screen and go merchant, right? Like if he ain't going deep, he's probably going nowhere. And by nowhere, I mean it's a screen and then he runs. And he's good at that. He's very good at that. One, your ball skills are less important when you're going deep. But two, even when they're still insufficient, if he goes deep, he's got Juan Thornhill or Tyron Matthew over the top because the Chiefs play a lot of two halo. So I don't think that they're going to stop playing two split safeties against a team that loves going deep. Jamar Chase is going to have to fend off a safety who's very good and a cornerback who's in position for every jump ball deep. Same with T. Higgins. Yeah, I feel like Jamar can just get open for a ton and just cover two whole shots. Because I don't think Joe Burrow has the those. arm to do a whole shot, though. That's fair. At least not consistently enough. And if he's going to do it, he's got to do it really early because that pass rush is going to get home. And we yeah. know that he doesn't do things like that. He never does shit like that. He waits until the last possible second. That's how he works. Mm-hmm. And this Chiefs defense runs cover two zones a lot. Like, they match, so it looks like man. But in the middle of the field, it's messy. There are people around. So if Burrow fucks up when he does his bullshit, it's going the other way. Man, I don't want to bet Chiefs minus seven, but I do. Yeah, I'm the same boat. I think it's the right bet. I, think I know the that the Chiefs win. I know the Chiefs win. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think that, but it, there's not much you can do. And since we only have two games, it's not like you can use it as a leg. Maybe you can. I think I can. But, I think I can. Yeah, I mean, let's see, see what you could get to if you use Chiefs money line with because Rams are what three and a half. You might even be able let's, to get plus. Let's do the there. late game. Let's do the late game, and then we'll get creative. All right. For now, well, we then, have a maybe. We have a maybe technically. Chiefs minus seven. Yeah. So then let's get into the NFC championship game. All right. So then for the NFC championship game, we have the San Francisco 49ers going to play the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams are minus three and a half. This is a tough one because the superior team is very clearly the Rams. But the number and the matchups and the setting are all kind of bad for the Rams. I want to hear your I thoughts. Me through that. Oh, okay. <laughs> we both are procrastinating this line. Well, I'll say I agree with the general thing. The more talented team of the Rams, I liked what you said earlier about they played recently and the Rams were taking it to them. Looked like they kind of had it, not in the bag, but they had the game. They were in control, and then it fell apart late. Stafford has been playing better. Cam Akers being back helps them, and they have good weapons uh, in terms of their receivers. That they can attack a lot of different ways. Obviously, Cup is the one that's going to get all the attention and is going to make the most happen for them. But Van Jefferson and OBJ and Higby are all good options to kind of find the weakness and go attack it, which I trust McVeigh to do. Yeah. So let's just start on offense. First of all, we'll me- I'll mention that these teams have already played twice. The 49ers have won both games. The first time, the 49ers blew them the fuck out. And the second time, The Chiefs, or not the Chiefs, the Rams were dominating and kind of just gave it away. Um, Now, the Rams giving that game away happened to coincide almost perfectly with the Seahawks taking control of their game against the Cardinals so that the Rams would already clinch the division regardless of outcome. Maybe that has something to do with it. I think it probably did, at least when they got into overtime. Like, are you really going to press and bust your ass to win this game in overtime when you know you're probably going to have to see this team again and you're playing next week anyways? I wouldn't. Yeah, that's a decent point. I, I want to chalk for, it all up. I, I, I won't chalk all of it, but like the overtime period, I personally would have just run prevent the whole way down the field and said, like, eh, if Jimmy G gives us the game, fine. But like otherwise, I don't care. And that's kind of what they did. Yeah. All right. Do you want to get into matchups? Yeah. So let's start with the Rams on offense. It actually doesn't really matter if Andrew Whitworth's back because – The Rams are apparently either three deep at really good offensive tackles or they just have one of those offensive line coaches that draws up protections that makes it not matter. I don't really care which one it is because we're only betting this week. Either way, the offensive tackles will be stout for the Rams, and I think that that will mitigate, if not neutralize, Joey Bosa. What do you think? I think so. I mean, see, this is the reason I think it will. Eric Armstead's really good at defensive tackle. 
but the Rams have a good defensive interior. Corbett, Edwards, and Allen are all consummate starting interior offensive linemen, right? Allen's probably a little better than consummate, and then Corbett and Edwards are like solid. Not great, but they're solid. They should start B minus B players. But Eric Armstead isn't going to dominate any of those three guys. And then they don't really have another defensive tackle worth a damn. Like DJ Jones is okay, but he ain't special. Yeah, I mean, he's just a space eater. He's good at it. And then in sub packages, they like to kick Arden Key down into the three technique role. But he sucks at that. He's so skinny. He can't do shit inside. Yeah, I'm not worried by that. And then on the other edge, they've got Samson Ekubam. Ed Buchan. Ekubam? Doesn't matter. They got Samson Ekubam. It's Ed Buchan, but I always want to call him Ekubam. Um, It it makes more sense to my tongue to say Ekubam. But Ekubam is not good. He is not, like, he's like the most vanilla defensive end, too, I could imagine. There's nothing special to his game at all. Which means that you don't have to double any of those three dudes, and you can double Bosa all day. Literally just slide the protection towards Bosa. You're clean, as long as they don't blitz. And if they do blitz, good, because Higby's open in the middle. Stafford is the best quarterback against the blitz. So please, 49ers, please blitz. They won't. They, that's not what they do. But if they did, it'd be great for the Rams. See, I still think Bosa will get his. He's not going to be in there wrecking the game, but he's going to have an impact and potentially create some turnovers. It, it like He's not going to be, you know, nine sacks or... 20 pressures from the game like we've seen, you know, Max Crosby did against the Bengals. But he's going to go in. He's going to be affecting the game. I think you're right, though, and that it, it, it's going to be him or nothing. And so on the plays where he doesn't get it, we can get into this more. But do you think the San Francisco DBs are going to be able to keep up with all of the options that the Rams offense has? No, absolutely not. And that's just not how the – like the 49ers know that, and they're smart enough to know that's not how they – and it's not what they're going to be doing. Um, like th- these cornerbacks are terrible, and there are going to be wide open dudes fairly frequently. Aaron Rodgers missed the wide open dudes, like mentally, he didn't throw it at them. I think Stafford will. Um, I think that Stafford. This is one of those things where the off field type shit actually does matter. So like everybody's been sucking OBJ, right? Just been gobbling him up. They love him. Oh my god, he caught a wide open touchdown on a five yard pass. It's amazing. And OBJ has actually been playing solid football. Not great, but solid wide receiver two football. But the thing is that OBJ is OBJ. He's a big personality. You know his name. You'll want to get the ball to him if you're Matt Stafford because you think like, that's fucking OBJ right there. God damn. And he's your second option. So whereas Aaron Rodgers looks at Alan Lazard, who's wide the fuck open and actually a pretty good receiver, very similar to OBJ in terms of caliber, even in very different style. Aaron Rodgers says, well, it's Alan Lazard. I got Devontae Adams. Aaron Rodgers looks, or Matt Stafford looks at it and says, well, I got my guy Cooper Cup, but OBJ's open, and it's OBJ hit OBJ. So Stafford has been very, he's been very good about spreading the ball out since they got OBJ back, and him and Van Jefferson have been healthy and knowing the offense. Like, they spread the ball out a lot. You have to cover every inch of the field. Stafford has the arm to make sure that you have to cover every inch of the field. And I'd just like to do a quick uh, thought experiment to prove this. Do you think the 49ers defense is good? Answer honestly. Do you think it's good? No. Okay, good. I'm very glad you said that. Because a lot of people have been saying, you know, oh, the 49ers keep on winning with defense and special teams, and it doesn't feel sustainable, but they keep doing it, so maybe it is. No, 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 no. So the 49ers keep on winning bullshit games. Week 18, they beat LA in overtime in that game where maybe they gave up. So let's just put that to the side for a second. The games that they played in the half a season between Los Angeles games were Houston. That's not impressive. Tennessee without Julio Jones and A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry. That's not impressive. Atlanta, not impressive. Cincinnati, maybe impressive. Put that in the pile over here with L.A. Seattle, not impressive. Minnesota, not impressive. Jacksonville, not impressive. Now we're back to Los Angeles. Very impressive. So it's not like these 49ers defenders have been playing great. And then in the playoffs, they got very lucky against the Packers. Like the Packers moved the ball. Rodgers missed a few things. There were a couple fumbles, but they moved the ball. They just couldn't score due to no fault of the 49ers. And like, yes, there was a blocked kick and a blocked punt, but I don't care what you say. That is not predictable. Yeah, I wouldn't calculate that into my my grade of the team moving forward. And they beat the Cowboys, but they still let up 20 points, and the Cowboys were silly mismanagement away from having a chance to tie. 
despite Dak playing like absolute garbage. Yeah, I, I think the 49ers have figured out a way to be decent with the, the D-line being a strength and then just grinding out games. And they are really physical and they wear on teams. And it's why they're able to keep these kind of low scoring, just dirty games. But I just can't think that it continues as they play in, you know, increasingly better competition. And yes, the 49ers beat the Rams both times they played them this year. They shouldn't have won that second game. The Rams are playing stronger. You know, uh, Stafford is settling in again. They've kind of, OBJ has been a really nice addition in filling out that, you know, second and third receiver role. Well, so the other thing is, how how did the 49ers beat the Rams, the two games that they played? Well, in the first game, they just went ball control on them, and they were really efficient. They scored on most of their drives, and they ran the ball, ate up the clock, right? Well, since then, the Rams have gotten healthy in the interior, so they've got Greg Gaines and Aaron Donald, who are both really fucking good against the run. Um, Aaron Donald is the best player in football, and Greg Gaines is a legitimate A-minus, B-plus defensive tackle, especially against the run. But they've also added Von Miller. Leonard Floyd got healthy. They added Eric Weddle, who is, if nothing else, a really good run-stopping safety, which is why in the second game, the 49ers did not run the ball very effectively against the Rams, despite having their full arsenal back. So that formula isn't working. They they scored in the second half with a little bit of luck and a little bit of pass. That's how it worked. <clears throat> now, additionally, I would like to focus on Nick Bosa because – you're worried that he could wreck the game. And I think that's really the only way the Rams don't put up a fuck ton of points, right? Like the Rams score 20 to 30 most of the time. Eh, they score in the high 20s most of the time if Nick Bosa doesn't have a sick game. Is that fair? I think you think everybody would agree with that? Yeah, I think so. As good as Nick Bosa has been in some of the games, and don't get me wrong, he has stood the fuck out in some of these games. He was really good against Green Bay last week, right? He also went up against a third-string right tackle that didn't expect to play because David Bakhtiari was supposed to play all week and then didn't at the last second, which means their right tackle got shifted to left and they brought in their swing tackle to play right tackle. That's not great. Now, it's impressive that Nick Bosa beat him like a rented mule, so I'll give him it. I'll give him. You got two sacks and a bunch of pressures, but I think he got five pressures total, three hurries and two sacks. But if you go back in his history, against Dallas, he had two pressures. Against the Rams a few weeks ago, he had four pressures, one pressure, two pressure, nine pressures against Atlanta, but we know they suck. Nine pressures against Cincinnati, but we know they suck on offensive line. Six pressures against Seattle, but Russell Wilson eats pressure for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and that's a bad right tackle. He's not getting many pressures against good teams. And if you look at his PFF grades, his own, he's not getting a lot of great pass rush grades, except against Green Bay's swing tackle. He got a decent grade against Houston and then awesome grades against Cincinnati, Atlanta, Chicago, when they were banged up on the offensive line. It's a lot of feasting on shit and then playing okay at best against everybody competent, including the Rams when they played him week 10. He was okay when he played the Rams week 18. Not great. Like these are PFF grades in the 60s against the Rams. So I don't think he'll be a problem. It is encouraging, especially because Fred Warner's playing but he's banged up cam Akers is back and uh, for all the fumbles throw the fumbles out i don't care about the fumbles fumbles are random he fucking moves the ball he's an electric runner he does i i think the fumbles are random until there's a pattern with the guy and i think Akers might move towards that but every one of Akers' fumbles in that game against tampa was reviewed and extremely close one of them was a fumble because his head didn't quite touch the ground before the ball came out the other one was a fumble because as he was tackled in a pile, the ball started to move. Like these aren't like, oh, I dropped it. These are Fair these enough. are close but still, calls. But still, I agree with you though that even even with Bosa, I, the only way that I think is is if Bosa goes in and creates one of the pick sixes or a Stafford meltdown that we've seen a couple times throughout this year. That's my worry yeah. with him, though that not being the case for how they've played this year is encouraging. Do you want to talk about the other side of the football? This is where things get tricky. This is where the 49ers have such an edge. And it's just because they've been able to run the ball against this fucking Rams team. Why don't you start us off while I pull up some charts? Yeah, so we, we've talked a lot about how strong the Rams are at certain positions and that they've had a resurgence in Von Miller and Leo Floyd's healthy. 
Now, obviously, Aaron Donald is the superstar that he is. They have the big name in Jalen Ramsey that you would think would be a perfect match with Debo Samuel. But it just hasn't really worked for him when they've played this year. Uh, the In the, that second game, you know, they were good in the first half. They, they still didn't end up giving up. What they go, 20 points in the whole game, which yeah. isn't terrible. But when you play the 49ers, that's that's kind of what the 49ers want to happen. They want it to be a grind-out game where they just hold on to the ball and they only score 20, 17, or whatever, but it still is a win for them. And that's been the issue for the Rams. They haven't been able to just stop them and get off the field. And they're going to be, they have to be able to do that in order to give Stafford and that offense enough chances to go and score 24 points. That kind of puts them in that comfortable territory. I don't know if they can. Like I said, you know, we just listed some of these names and I like a lot of these guys in theory. They grade out well. They look good when they play them. But the 49ers just have, whether it's Shanahan or it's the the stud tackles or what it is for the 49ers, but they're able to just grind out yards and keep people guessing. And it's how they've gotten to this point. I mean, it's just ball control, use the defense, and then offense give it to Debo and create stuff with Kittle and uh, use check and just hope Garoppolo doesn't screw up. And he's been screwing up just uh, just rarely enough that they're surviving. Yeah. So I want to start with Jalen Ramsey because it's one of my pet projects. Jalen Ramsey is fucking mids, he's super overrated, but he is what you want in this game. He's the guy you want on Debo. He can limit Debo as much as anybody because he tackles really well. And Debo is a running back playing wide receiver and also sometimes running back. And Jalen Ramsey is the guy you want tackling him. There's similar speed. Like, as good as Debo is, it's not like he's got awesome ball skills. He's got good ball skills, but he's not going up and pulling one out of the air. And Jalen Ramsey's got good ball skills. Not great, but good. But Jalen Ramsey's been shit in coverage against Tampa and Arizona and San Francisco. He was fine against Baltimore and good against Minnesota. But he was shit against Seattle and Green Bay. It turns out when Jalen Ramsey plays decent wide receivers, he sucks. But when he plays Detroit... Tennessee without A.J. Brown, San Francisco without Debo, he's awesome. So a lot of this game is going to come down to how good can Jalen Ramsey. I don't think he can be good enough to make a big difference. And I hate to say that because it means that Debo is going to be having his. That said, last time these teams played, the uh, the Rams were fucked in the secondary. They didn't have Darius Williams, and I don't even think they had David Longtree, which means that Ayuk and Jennings were like, pretty open. And I think that Williams can handle Ayuk pretty well. I think that Long can handle Jennings very well. This game is going to come down to protecting the middle of the field with the safeties and the lines. So we know that Trent Williams is the best tackle in football, which is crazy because he took last year off. He's a freak. And they're doing creative shit with him. They put him at fullback, getting him in motion. That's genius. Why did nobody ever think of that before? Like teams telegraph where they're going to run every week. If you're going to telegraph, get it fucking strong. Put Trent Williams in motion. Yeah, he's been incredible. He's been just a lot of fun as well. But it's been nice to see him kind of have that, not quite a renaissance, because he was very good when he was in Washington. But to get away from the franchise and have some success and get noticed for it, which is always tough as an offensive lineman. It's kind of like Stafford, where like, yeah, he was always really good, but nobody ever cared. Exactly. But outside of him, though, they're they're still pretty good. So they got Tom Compton on the right tackle, who's a very good right tackle. Very good indeed. Not elite like Trent Williams, but very good. I think that there's a weakness, though. So your boy Alex Mack, former Bear. Former Brown. Former Brown. Also former Bear. He went to Cal. Oh. Ah, no, that's not uh, what I meant at all. I fucked up. Different kind of Bear. I fucked up. Um, I confused our hometown teams. But, yeah, former Brown, Alex Mack. Very good for a very long time, but he's getting old and he's starting to show it. He has been iffy at times. I've, I caught him trailing the play on a few snaps against Green Bay last week where he was just like jogging behind everybody else on the field and not on successful plays either. Um, he's fading and it's late in the season and he's going up against Aaron Donald and Greg Gates, which is tough. And Daniel Brunskill sucks. He sucks. Their right guard, he sucks. I think that the battle in the trenches is going to come down to Lakin Tomlinson, Chicago boy at left guard, um, because Trent Williams and Tom Compton are really, really good, but Von Miller and Leonard Floyd are actually really good. Von Miller has been 
outstanding lately. He looks like regular ass Von Miller after looking like mids all year. And then it's Leonard Floyd to happen. Fuck yeah. And then Leonard Floyd, who has always just been Bud Dupree, the slim cut version, has actually been playing really well lately. Like in the playoffs specifically, he's been playing really well. So I think I they can at very least they can at the very least occupy the tackles, if not beat them. I think that Von Miller over Tom Compton is a legitimate advantage for the Rams, but it doesn't matter because they're not dropping back to pass that much anyway. I just think that they can occupy the tackles. I think Greg Gaines and Aaron Donald against that iffy interior is a problem. And I think that one of those two dudes is going to be in the backfield damn near every play fucking shit up. So on the line, I actually give the advantage to the Rams in the pass game. In the running game, the problem is that the linebackers are not any good. Like in the pass game, they can add a Sean or in the run game, they can add a Sean Robinson to their defensive line because they go three, four. So Robinson gains and Donald is like an insane front three. It's almost as good as Tennessee's front three. And I think that that'll go a long ways to stopping the run. And then you got Floyd and Miller on the field. Also stop. You got five dudes stopping the run. And that's great. And I think that that matches up one-on-one against this offensive line really fucking well. But at linebacker, that means you got something called Traven Howard and then Troy Reader. And both of those dudes... Now, Traven Howard's actually good in coverage, according to PFF. And he is an athlete, according to his pro day and combine scores. But he's a seventh-round pick for a reason, and he does not seem to be very good against the run. Troy Reader generally sucks in all the ways that one can play football. This is scary for me. Yeah, I'm the same boat. I mean, it, it's a th- the third week of the 49ers are playing an explosive offense with a defense that can't really stop the run. And while the team with the explosive offense should win on paper because the defense is just good enough that they should be able to keep up with them, like we said with Dallas and like we said with Green Bay, I'm kind of worried that same thing happens here. Now, the other side of me says it has to run out because I don't think that they're just better and that they've cracked it that, oh, if we play this kind of football, we can beat any of these passing teams. I think they've just been kind of lucky and have outplayed, you know, they they've capitalized when they needed to, but it's not that they're special. So that's why I still just lean towards the Rams here because on paper, they should be able to stifle them a good amount defensively and really just take the top off of them offensive man see this is sometimes i get into the problem where i start playing coach and start a, instead of playing evaluator i think that there's a path to victory in the run game for the rams i think if you take reader off the field entirely and you throw eric weddle at linebacker and then play taylor rep who's finally back and nick scott who's actually played really fucking well we'll talk about that in a second Put Nick Scott, Taylor Rapp, and Eric Weddle all on the field at the same time. Weddle is a fucking bruiser. He has been really good. Um, you can also, if you don't want to use Eric Weddle, you can use Terrell Burgess, who was really good against the run. But Eric Weddle can't cover still. That's fine. He has been really good at tackling and hitting and stopping the run. Get those three safeties out there instead of Trey Reader or Troy Reader. Now I think you've got something. However, I also kind of doubt that Raheem Morris is smart enough to do something like that something so counterintuitive and i think he'll probably just stick with troy reader now nick scott gotta talk about him the strong safety he's mostly been a special teamer number 33 for the rams he had that one really really nice pass breakup on brady he might have even had a pick on brady two weeks ago against the cardinals he had that really nice hit on aj green to jar the ball loose he has been rangy and explosive and he's been good in coverage because while eric weddle is running and making hits he's a little too slow to get there before the ball and he's overrunning the play sometimes the Scott kid is timing it up great. So with him, Rap, Burgess, and Weddle, I think their safeties actually became a fucking strength out of some out of nowhere. Oh, I'll have to see that to believe it, because to me, it's still just a bunch of like decent role players. Now, granted, you if you platoon it right, you can be in good positions. But as soon as a play gets run that you're not expecting, or where you're, they start running hurry up, and you get stuck with the wrong people out there, it can go bad really quickly. Well, when is that situation though? Because I don't want Troy Reader out there for a passing play. I'd much rather have Eric Weddle covering than Troy Reader. And I'd, I'd and Terrell Burgess, Taylor Rapp, and Nick Scott are all technically better against the run than they are against the pass, despite the fact that they're the best pass covering options they have. So. I wouldn't say that this is a good secondary full of safeties. If you were playing, say, the Chiefs, I would say, oh, Travis Kelsey might be 
because these are not great safeties, but these are box safeties, four of them. You get three of them on the field at the same time, you got a lot of hitting power and a lot of speed, and everybody knows that the way to beat the 49ers is with speed and discipline on your defense. That's a good point. So to what extent is L.A. going to roll out a game plan creative enough to stifle this 49ers offense? I don't know, but the pieces are there. It's possible that they could absolutely shut this 49ers defense or offense down. And remember that the Packers, who suck at stopping the run, held the 49ers to three points on offense. Yeah, it's not like their offense has been carrying them. It's been kind of just doing enough not to lose. Well, it's the same thing where I, I like the Rams. They're I think they're going to win. Three and a half is just a tough number when you get down to it, though. Well, I have good news for you because this number is coming down to three. See, at three, I like it. Same. I, and, um, I think you bet it right away at three. I, we're going to have to wait. It's going to happen on Sunday, but it will get to three. Um, now, I know that I'm not the best at predicting line moves, but here are a few indicators that are usually very good. First of all, Pinnacle is the sharpest sports book out there, right? It's an online sports book. They do no VIG betting. So like instead of minus 110, minus 110, it's like minus 105, which means it, it gets a lot of sharp action from really smart dudes who are very serious about this shit, which means that their lines move faster than everybody else's because they have a more intelligent market, right? They're at minus three and a half even odds. Westgate, second best sports book in all of Vegas. They're at three and a half even odds. This thing is coming down. It's coming down to three soon. And I think that it'll only get closer and closer to three. Fuck, it might even close two and a half. So your weekly update about asymmetric risk, anytime you have a line minus three and a half, do not ever bet it unless kickoff is in five minutes. Because worst case scenario, it goes to four and it's the same fucking bet. Best case scenario, it goes down to three or God forbid, two and a half. And now you're rolling in money. So do not bet this, but wait until Sunday. And on Sunday, when it is three or two and a half, you take that fucker because I'm going to take that fucker. That's a bet. That's a pod bet. If you can get Rams minus three or better, take that fucker. Do you agree? I do. All right. We got one fucking straight up simple bet. Rams minus three. All right. You want to have some fun now? Yeah, let's get creative. All right. The first one I got to throw in is Jamar Chase over yards. I fucking hate you. It's 88 and a half right now, which I know is high, but what what else is going to happen? What are they going to do? Last time they played, he had 200 and some yards. The Chiefs have spent the entire playoffs just busting coverages and giving up massive plays to star players. I think just about everyone on the offense, and unless you think that the Bengals' offense is not going to be able to do anything at all the entire game, then you have to think Jamar's going to get 100 yards. He's the focal point. They start their offense with him. If it gets stagnant they go back to just for feeding him the ball if they're down by a lot they just feed him the ball in pretty much any situation they go yeah time to throw it at him so i i'm probably gonna go ahead and pepper that one in okay now i'm not disagreeing but might it be better to do jamar chase receptions over instead of yards see the thing i'm worried about is them doing manufactured touches it's only 5.5 touches he just needs 5.5 catches no, that's not bad. What's the that's a, number? That's a fucking guarantee. What are we doing here? 5.5? They're going to have to throw the ball. They're going to throw the ball 50 to 60 times. Take that shit. Yeah. Okay. So Jamar over in receptions. Okay. So we got we got another pod pick. Jamar over receptions. 5.5 is out there. If it goes to six, I don't care. He's going to get eight catches. Okay. There's a lot of props for this game. I'm seeing one. I think there's an angle here. Who will have more touchdown or uh, sorry, not touchdown. Who will have more passing attempts in the game? Mahomes or Burrow? They also have yardage. Now, the only thing that scares me at all is that Burrow is going to be in volume mode. Right. (laughs) If only I could bet yards per attempt because then I know where I'm going. (laughs) You can get uh, Burrow uh, over 0.5 interceptions, minus 140. You can also get Patrick Mahomes over 34 rushing yards. Wait till those kneels at the end of the game kill you, though. Man, this is a team with bad linebackers and a fierce pass rush. He's going to be stepping up and through the line all day. He's probably going to run for 30 yards in the first half. I hope you guys hear the horn outside my apartment blasting because somebody's probably stopped at a red light. The guy behind him doesn't like that. Welcome to New York. (laughs) 
It's a beautiful place. You got different definitions of the word. want to live there. <laughs> want. Now that's a fun word to define. You also have Patrick Mahomes' longest uh, rushing attempts over 14.5. I'm not going to touch it. That one's a sucker play. Everybody remembers his long run for last week. This is why generally I hate player props. Oh, dude, I, I fucking hate him. The only, the only ones that I really liked were Jamar, just because it seems like he's the entirety. He's the one you can count on. I have a nice hedge play. What's that? You can bet who will have more receptions in the game, Tyreek Hill or Jamar Chase. If Tyreek Hill has more catches than Jamar Chase, the Chiefs win by a lot. If Jamar Chase has more catches than Tyreek Hill, the Bengals have a better chance of winning. I think if you bet Jamar Chase has more catches than Tyreek Hill, there's a chance you win both that and Chiefs winning. But worst case scenario, if the Chiefs lose, you almost certainly hit Jamar Chase more catches than Tyreek Hill. Yeah, that's a pretty nice hedge. Okay. I'm probably oh not my God. doing that. But Dude, the props are fucking Super Bowl good. They have total sacks by B.J. Hill. <laughs> Hammer the under. Total sack. If Melvin, they have Melvin Ingram over under half a sack for plus 300. If Melvin Ingram gets one sack, you get three times your money. Yeah, see, that seems like such a great prop. I mean, you're playing where he's going to be going against the right tackle, most likely. The bad tackle. Mm -hmm. Against Joe Burrow, who loves holding on to the ball too long. And they're going to have to pass the whole time. I swear to God, that's the best bet I've ever heard of. I'm actually going to bet that. I'm going to see what the the maximum bet that they'll allow is $1,000. So I am going to bet a full unit $1,000 on that. Because I'm rich and I don't give a fuck. I bet on it too. I did a half unit, but I bet on it. And we don't unit shame. We should, but we don't. Uh, oh, here's a good one. Longest successful field goal, 47 and a half yards. I, I want to bet over because McPherson's really good, but also I'm scared because the Bengals might just never kick field goals out of fear. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not going to bet that because it's disadvantage. The only props I'm doing from this are Jamar Chase more catches than Tyreek Hill, Jamar Chase over 5.5 catches, and Melvin Ingram sack. I'm going to go a full unit on Melvin Ingram because it's so tasty. And then I'm going to go a half unit on the others. So I did uh, Jamar over five and a half receptions, over 88 and a half yards, and then Melvin Ingram over half a sack, all for a half unit, at least for now. Okay. I just locked in my Melvin Ingram sack. Let's pray for a Melvin Ingram sack because if he gets it, I'll feel like a genius. And if he doesn't, I will cry tears. Yeah, it'll be a little sad. It'll be the most excited I'll ever be for a Melvin Ingram sack too. Oh, yeah. It's got to happen. Joe Burrow loves eating sacks, and Melvin Ingram's been getting pressure like crazy. He just he had three sacks on Josh Allen that he couldn't tackle Josh Allen. That's not a crime. Yeah, you do like to see the guy finish the tackle, but against Josh Allen, it's understandable. All right, now I have another bet. Chiefs minus three is negative 240. Rams outright is negative 180. You parlay those two together, you get plus 120. Say it for me one more time. Chiefs minus three, the alt line. Mm-hmm. With Rams money line plus one twenty, and if you mechanical parlay, it's probably even better. And because they're lined up, we can mechanical parlay. Yeah, I I don't mind that whatsoever. I think that's pretty good. I might do that. I'm afraid, man. I really want to bet Chiefs minus seven and Rams minus three. But if I lay both favorites at prime numbers, I know I'm gonna get fucked. Yes. Should we just do it? Playoff markets are fucking built for squares to win anything. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's pick our favorites. You know what? I didn't didn't say this at the beginning of the podcast, but even though we lost three units last week, we're still up 11.93 units. We've still hit on 54.77% of our bets. We're allowed to throw one away on the Chiefs and say, Chiefs minus seven, fuck you. I know it's kind of square, but they're a way better team, and the Bengals are really fucking lucky. Right? Yeah. Why not? uh, Same thing. You know what? This one, we have fun. So the mechanical parlay is plus 121 odds, but if this line go, does go down to the Rams minus three, as we expect it to, I expect that money line to go from negative 180 to about negative 150, in which case we're probably looking at like plus 140 odds. So we'll put it down as 120, but that might change on Sunday if the line goes down because it is a mechanical parlay, you bet let's say in this case to make things easy you bet a hundred dollars on kansas city uh minus three if that wins you make a profit of 41 dollars and 67 cents and then you take the entire 147 dollars and 67 cents from that bet so what you staked and what you won and then you bet all of that on rams money line 
See how it works? It's a parlay mechanically. When you do it mechanically, you get a few extra points on the spread, or not the spread, the, the juice. So we're going to do that. We'll put it in the book at plus 121 for right now, but it's probably going to be more like 140 come Sunday. Right now, we've got Kansas. Wait, let me do some, let me signal to the people. We've got Kansas City minus seven over Cincinnati. One unit at minus 110 odds. We've got Rams minus three over San Francisco. Two units. It's going to get to 110 if it gets there. And finally, we've got Rams money line. Chiefs minus three. Parlay it mechanically, as we talked about. Two units plus 121 odds at the minimum, probably going up. For a total of five units wagered, meaning if we lose every single bet, which could happen, crazy shit happens in the playoffs, we would still be up seven units on the season. Then we have the Super Bowl, and you can't lose seven units in the Super Bowl, so. Oh, dude, if the Super Bowl is Rams versus Chiefs, like I expect, I might not bet. I might just enjoy the beauty of football. I I might be right in that boat with you. This is also how it always goes in, like, the NHL. I know that this is not a hockey podcast, but in the NHL every year, the Stanley Cup ends up being one really fucking good team who probably deserves to win a championship. And then one team who, how the fuck did they get here? This is bullshit. And the good team always wins and the bad team does not win a Stanley Cup and it's okay. And the NFL is just going through a little, little wild child phase where it lets these shitty teams into the playoffs. And then sometimes they go places. Yeah. What if we end up with the uh, 49ers Bengals Super Bowl? Won't watch it. <laughs> i'll still watch it i'll just complain the whole time i literally won't watch it it'll be the day it'll be the day before valentine's day i'll say honey we're uh we're going to mexico we are going to a place where i cannot watch football and it's just you me and ceviche well let's hope it doesn't come to that i hope it doesn't come to that but even more than that i hope that you motherfuckers are betting on football games you know tail or fade i don't really care because you deserve what you get till next time hasta.